Our scripture focus today is in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 9. David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? David answered the priest Ahimelech, The king gave me a mission, but he told me, Don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I've ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men at at a certain place. Now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, There is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread. But the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us, as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission, so of course their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, and there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. One of Saul's servants detained before the Lord was there that day. His name was Doeg the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Do you have a spear or sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapon since the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one here. There's none like it, David said. Give it to me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Hallows Church. Uh, It's great to be with you in this capacity. Uh, My family and I, for the past few weeks, have been traveling a little bit with different things related to visiting family and celebrating my dad's 70th birthday, to fulfilling some ministry commitments on our family's part, and then taking some time to just rest and recreate on the back end of our travels the past few weeks. And I hope and pray that each of you are able to find some time to rest and recreate or recreate as we slide deeper into the summer and hopefully the heat wave has passed. I hated that I missed that. I really do. That way I could have empathized and sympathized with you, but alas, here we are. I got uh, landed and I returned to Seattle, I think on Monday. All my days are flowing together and and I didn't know what all the fuss was about. It didn't seem too hot to me on Monday, but apparently it was pretty intense for a few weeks. Uh, Let me pray for us and then we're going to dive into our passage today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we have together today. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that our hearts would be open and receptive and responsive to the food, the nourishment, the work you desire to do within us uh, this day. God, we love you and we pray for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'm encourage you to grab those and open them to 1 Samuel chapter 21. We continue our study of this book to the passage our friend Jesse read for us a moment ago. And as you are finding your way to that text, let me encourage you with the fact that God's grace flows to the desperate, not the deserving. That God's grace flows to the desperate, not the the deserving. This is the consistent refrain from start to finish in the scriptures. This is the consistent refrain from the start to the finish line of our lives, that God's grace flows to the desperate, not the deserving. This was Jesus's point in the Beatitudes when he tells us, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. He says, blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then he would wrap up that list a few verses later saying, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Jesus reminding us in that moment that it is the desperate, not the deserving, that find favor in the kingdom of God. That it is the desperate, not the deserving, that receives the grace of God and that benefit from all that he seeks to do for us in the sending of his son Jesus to live and to die and to rise again. And that's good news when you step into a passage like this, because in this passage we find a desperate David. David's a lot like Harrison Ford in the movie The Fugitive. He's a fugitive on the run for his life, and he hasn't necessarily done anything wrong, but he has a powerful enemy who's wanting to take him out. And so he makes questionable moral decisions, and some of them, over the course of this stretch, he's going to regret because they will wind up putting other people's lives in harm. You want me to use this instead of this? Nevertheless, even despite that, God gives David what he needs. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at a series of moments in David's life. And what's interesting about this, these next few passages is that David's life and his experience illustrates well for us how many of us experience the life of faith. That as we live by faith, journeying through this world, there are lots of times when God's not writing on the wall uh, explicit instructions about what we should be doing and the decisions we need to be made. And sometimes we're just doing the best we can. We're trying to survive this life and we're making choices, making decisions. And sometimes when we get on the other side of those moments, we look back and we discover, you know, we didn't make the best decision. We didn't make the right choice in that moment. But the life of faith isn't about making perfect decisions. The life of faith is about you and I learning to trust Jesus and to treasure the grace that flows into our lives, not because we are deserving, but because we find ourselves desperate. This is a lesson that David is going to learn over the next few chapters. This is a lesson that David is going to celebrate when he's writing the Psalms, looking back on his journey of faith and worshiping God in response to the grace and the goodness that God has shown him. That God's grace flows to the desperate, not the deserving. This is the most scandalous truth about the gospel of Jesus. This is the truth that our hearts have the hardest time grasping and believing and resting, resting in because we are so wired to think that provision and favor and blessing should only come to those who earn it. Yet time and time again, we find God treating people in the scriptures far better than they deserve. Enters far better than they did time and time again in our own life journey. If we're honest with ourselves and what we're really like in the hidden moments of our days, we find ourselves surprised that God would treat us far better than we deserve. There are three things I want to point out in this passage that God provides David. Three things that he gives David, even though David is kind of moving along. The first thing you see as David is kind of fleeing Saul and he's a fugitive on the run, you find God providing refuge among the redeemed. And I love how this passage begins. As David has fled for his life, where's the first place he goes? He goes to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Now, Nob was a, 
was a place that had become a home for a sanctuary just a couple of miles north, northeast of Jerusalem. And it was known as kind of the, the house of priests because Ahimelech and others like him would serve the Lord there. And so when David's on the run, where's the first place he goes? He goes to this sanctuary. He seeks refuge with Ahimelech at Nob. Now, Ahimelech was one of Aaron's descendants. He was in the line of the priesthood. And, and so David felt he could go there and find refuge, find help, find support in his time of need. But what's interesting is that when David shows up, Ahimelech's legs start to tremble. He starts to sweat a little bit. He gets afraid because David's presence could jeopardize his own well-being, could jeopardize his own safety. Now, it's, we don't know exactly why he's trembling, why he's afraid in this moment. It could be that he's aware of what went down at Naoth a few chapters earlier when David's presence kind of jeopardized the safety and put some prophets in danger. And now this fugitive on the run has showed up there. And Ahimelech realizes that if Saul's going after this guy and I help this guy, then that may jeopardize my own position, my own safety, my own comfort. It may jeopardize my life. But I love what I love about what goes down in this passage is that despite his fear, Ahimelech serves this desperate man on the run. Despite being afraid, he still opens up and he, he is used by the Lord to provide David with what he needed. And of course, this would jeopardize his life. There's an ominous moment in verse 7 where we were told about this guy who was kind of hanging out in the shadows, observing everything, a guy named Doeg, the Edomite, and, and he is a worker for Saul and and he sees this happening. And so he's the guy who's going to go report back to Saul in a couple of chapters later. And then Ahimelech's life will be, will be slain. So what Ahimelech does here, it does cost him his life. But Ahimelech was a man who recognized his role in the world. That his role in the, as a priest in the sanctuary wasn't to turn away desperate people because it would be dangerous for him. His role in the world is to receive and to welcome the desperate to serve the desperate, to help the desperate, and this is what he does. Now, one of the things about the scriptures is that these Old Testament pictures, these stories that God has given to us in the Old Testament, these Old Testament pictures are oftentimes illustrations of New Testament principles, New Testament realities that we are all living into. And what you find shifting from the Old Testament to the New Testament is the role of the priest. That we are told that the priesthood is now... Uh, something that every believer, every follower of Jesus is a part of. And so as we think about being a royal priesthood now, because we are trusting in Christ and we all have this unique access to God to worship him, to walk with him, to serve him, we, we think about that and we find in Himelech there a, a priest who's proving to be what the church should be in the world right now. That as a kingdom of priests, it is a unique role and responsibility we have to open up and to minister and to serve the desperate. To welcome desperate into the company of the redeemed so that they might find what they need. And providing refuge and relief to desperate people can be dangerous. As I was thinking and reflecting upon this, I was reminded of the movie that Robin Williams starred in back in, I think, 1998 called Patch Adams. And Patch Adams, he was a doctor that cared for desperate people. And he believed in helping people connect on a human level. And so he would 
started what he called a ranch where desperate people could come and find help and they could connect with him and connect with one another. And, but in so doing, as he sought to serve desperate people, he did put his life at risk. And he put those who he was in relationship with at risk so that the story would take a tragic turn when one of these desperate individuals would take the life of one of his, one of his co-workers. And then the, but the movie then kind of comes to a climax where Robin Williams' character, Patch Adams, is in a courtroom setting and he's trying to justify his efforts and he's trying to explain why he would be willing to do things that he was doing, why he would serve desperate people in the way that he did. And then he challenges everyone in the courtroom. He said, you know, it's the biggest disease that we all face and the one that we must all fight is the disease of indifference. And there is a temptation and a tendency for people like us who may be in a prosperous setting or a prosperous situation to close ourselves off from desperate people, not wanting to take risks to meet their needs or to serve their lives. And over time, our hearts just kind of grow calloused and we find ourselves indifferent to the needs around us, and when that happens, the church ceases to be the expression of grace that God intends for the church to be. As you know, the church is not a place, it's not a building that people should come to, it's a people who are mobilized to serve Jesus in the world, and, and desperate people should be able to come and take refuge among us. And we must not allow fear or indifference to prohibit us from opening up and welcoming desperate folks like David in this text into our midst and serving them. We have to fight through that fear, and we have to fight through that indifference. Now, as I was thinking about the pandemic over the past year, the 12, 14 months that we've been enduring this thing, I want to just encourage you and commend you for not allowing fear to prevent you from serving desperate people. One of the ways that this has been evident in our church is that we have... Uh, it was very easy during the pandemic to become very fearful over finances, worried, well, where's the future going? Is my future secure? And it could cause people in fear to not exercise faith in giving towards helping people who may find themselves in desperate situations and circumstances as a result of COVID-19. But church, you didn't do that. You didn't allow fear to paralyze you. You didn't allow fear to cause you to, to huddle up and to only care for yourself. No, we had the joy of serving 28 households over the course of the pandemic with around $36,000 that you guys generously provided to help people stay in their homes, to help put food on tables, to provide general supplies for people who, who needed it because they were hit harder perhaps by the pandemic. So I just want to thank you for providing refuge for desperate people. And I want to encourage you as we move into the future and as we learn to kind of reconnect and to be human together again, that you would continue to open yourself up and to receive people in because desperate people are coming out of the shadows. They are stepping out of their houses for the first time, interacting in person for the first time in a long time, and they have lots of emotional, mental, spiritual needs that you and I have the joy of ministering to. As expressions of God's grace, God provides refuge for desperate people among the redeemed. And so David goes to Ahimelech and he hangs out with him at Nob, but then he has some needs, and 
He begins to engage in a conversation that raises some of the question marks about what David is talking about in this moment. Because the story he shares to Ahimelech isn't true. He is, he provides a a mistruth in this moment. He tells a story that isn't accurate. It isn't honest. He he tells a story as being a desperate person trying to survive. Now, up to this point, David has been a stellar example for us in 1 Samuel. I mean, when he charged the battlefield to take on Goliath, he set an inspiring example there for us. But here, he starts acting more like a con man. And he begins to speak mistruths. When Ahimelech asks him why he is there, he makes up a story about being on a secret mission for Saul. Not aware of the fact that, or not disclosing the fact that he's actually being hunted by Saul, that he is a fugitive on the run. Now, there are different explanations as to why David might have Uh, shared this story in this way. Some suggest that he might have been trying to prevent Ahimelech from being implicated in aiding and abetting a fugitive or an enemy. And we don't really know what motivated David to do this. And and there are lots of things that people can say about it. But one thing I want you to just kind of hear as you take some time this week, perhaps to sit with the scriptures and to read the Bible, an important principle to keep in mind is that a report of something happening isn't the same thing as a recommendation. This this is why you don't take stories like this and think, okay, well, David lied in that circumstance. I must be justified to lie in this circumstance. A report is not the same thing as a recommendation. And the narrator of this story isn't telling us. He's not giving a, he's not judging David in any way, shape, or form. It just is what it is. Reporting this instance, and you and I, you and I can Remember that as we're reading the Bible, that just because the Bible reports something is taking place, it's not a recommendation that that's how things should be or how moments should be handled. But nevertheless, David is desperate for food, so he asks Ahimelech for food. He asks for five loaves of bread. Ahimelech looks around the sanctuary and he doesn't see any ordinary bread that just anybody can be had. Perhaps he had already given that out to other desperate people who had come along and visited him there in the sanctuary. When he looks around, he doesn't see any ordinary bread. He only sees the consecrated bread. Bread that was devoted and set apart for the purposes of God. Bread that is set apart every week by the priests who would put out 12 loaves on a table as an offering to the Lord. Bread that would sit there and the aroma of which would rise to heaven. And and it would sit there for a week. And after a week, then the priests and only the priests were allowed by the Torah to take that and to eat it. And yet that's the only bread there. And that's the bread that David asks for. And much to everybody's surprise, as we're kind of reading through this book and who are aware of the the Torah and the first five books of the Old Testament, they They get to this moment, they're surprised that Ahimelech is actually willing to give it to David. He's willing to give the bread of the presence to a guy who isn't a priest. Now, he does drop one qualifier. He says, as long as you and your guys, in theory, are are sexually pure, then we're good. And he was trying to gauge, it seems, David's consecration. Is he devoting himself to the Lord in other areas of life and kind of vetting all that? And David assures him that he has. And so Ahimelech then provides, proceeds to to give him the bread of the presence, this this bread that he needed because he was hungry and desperate, but a bread that wasn't necessarily reserved for him. 
Now, there's a couple things going on here when David gets this bread. One principle that we are to see is that the spirit of the law is always more authoritative and grounding and guiding than the letter of the law. What that means is, is that principles of the Torah override particulars of the Torah when, the, when life is at stake. And if David was hungry, if he was famished, if he was desperate for food, it was okay for Ahimelech to pass this bread on to him, even though it wasn't technically for him, because the spirit of the law is more authoritative than the letter of the law. The principles are more powerful than the particulars. And Jesus would affirm this in Matthew chapter 12. There's a couple of moments in the Gospels where Jesus refers back to this story. Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 6, there's a day where Jesus and the disciples have been out wandering the fields serving people and, and they're hungry and they're, it seems the disciples are desperate for food and even though it is a Sabbath, he tells the disciples to pluck some grain and to feed themselves. Now when the Pharisees caught wind of that happening, perhaps saw it, they objected. And they said the disciples were being unfaithful to the Torah. They were not following God's law to the, to the letter, to the T. And they accused them of breaking the Sabbath. And then Jesus responds in an exchange. He says in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 12, If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. In other words, the spirit of the law is about mercy. It is about life. It is not about condemnation and neglecting people in need. And so he would elevate the spirit of the law above the letter of the law in that moment. But there's a second and more important dynamic going on in 1 Samuel 21. And that is the reason David was willing to take the bread of the presence, it seems, is because David was God's newly anointed king. And what you have when David receives the bread that was consecrated and set apart for the Lord is the same thing that Saul experienced after he was anointed king in 1 Samuel chapter 10. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, Saul would uh, receive bread that was being brought to the sanctuary to be offered to the Lord. He would eat that. And so what's happening in 1 Samuel 21 is that David is rising to the throne because Saul has fallen off it. And so when Jesus then quotes this text, he's doing more than just saying the spirit of the law is more authoritative than the letter of the law, that the spirit of the law is about mercy and life, while the letter of the law is more about condemnation and death. He says he's saying more about it. When he goes on in that conversation with the Pharisees in verse 8, he tells them, look, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So he's not just arguing about how the law should be applied to a person's life. He's claiming to be the new David the truly anointed one, God's king. This is who Jesus is. So when he makes that claim and he authorizes and sanctions the feeding of the disciples with grain on the Sabbath, he's doing a very similar thing that goes down in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And just as Jesus would authorize and sanction the feeding of his desperate disciples, he authorizes and sanctions the feeding of our lives as well. Which brings us to the second thing that God provides in this passage. On one hand, first he provides refuge among the redeemed. And then second, he provides, he provides daily bread in the scriptures. What tends to happen when you and I reach those desperate moments and we're struggling to believe that God is graceful and merciful, that we don't trust that he is about life and not death, that he is about 
taking care of his people. In those moments, we can sometimes cut ourselves off from the daily bread that God graciously provides his people. We might isolate our lives from the company of the redeemed, and then we might, rather than turning to God's daily bread in the scriptures, we may turn to other things as a form of self-medication to deal with our desperation, whether they be Netflix binges or alcohol or whatever the case may be. Desperate people have a tendency to cut themselves off from what God is ready and willing and constantly providing his people with, that not only does he provide us refuge among the redeemed, he's always prime and ready to give us daily bread in the scriptures, whether we deserve it or not. So rather than thinking, well, I don't have my act together, so I can't come to meet with Jesus in the world, you say to yourself, I don't have my act together. That's all the more reason why I need to meet with Jesus in the scriptures. And I come to be fed by the Lord, so I meet with him regularly. I fight through fear. I fight through feelings of being undeserving. I fight through feelings of guilt and shame and sin and all these dynamics. I fight that believing that God is gracious and that he gives grace to the, not to the deserving but to the desperate. So we turn our attention to the daily bread that God wants to give us. And we never stop reading the Bible. We never stop gathering with the church because we feel unworthy or undeserving. We never stop opening the scriptures and reading them for those reasons. We worship a God whose grace flows not to the deserving, but grace that flows to the desperate. So despite the fact that David is making up a story here, he still eats the bread of the presence. But there's another item that David is desperate for that you meet in verse 8. He needed refuge, he needed food, but he also needed a weapon. And in verse 8, this is what he gets. He asks Ahimelech if there's a spear or a sword on hand. And then one of the most epic moments in all of 1 Samuel where, this is movie-esque, this is epic, where Ahimelech starts talking about the sword of, of Goliath. Perhaps David knew it was there, that's why he attended, why he went there in the first place. So whatever the case may be, it is just an epic moment to for David to receive the sword of this giant that he had slaughtered on the battlefield not long prior to this moment. And so David gets refuge, he gets bread, and now he's being given a sword. Now the focus of the story, the focus of the story isn't so much about the laws that are perhaps being broken in the details, but it's about how God's grace provides for desperate people. I love what Eugene Peterson says when he draws the analogy between this moment with the church. He says, the church is where people like me, who like David, the church is where we go to get bread and it is where we go to get a sword. That the company of the redeemed is where we go to find strength for the day and weapons for the fight. And when you get to the New Testament and you hear Jesus You hear all that kind of flows from his resurrection and when he takes his throne at the right hand of the of the throne, takes his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. We're told in Ephesians chapter four that when he did that, he he gave the church some gifts. He equipped the church, he empowered the church. Ephesians chapter five four. He says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
For it says, when he ascended on high, when he took his seat, he took the captives captive, he gave gifts to people. So the way we want to apply this story to our lives today is that, yes, there is refuge to be found among the redeemed. Yes, there is daily bread to be found in the scriptures. But there's also the reality that God provides power, equipment, strength by his Holy Spirit. And so we receive his Holy Spirit and we grow as followers of Jesus. We live in light of what Christ has accomplished for us, affirming forever and always that God, God's grace flows to the desperate, not the deserving. Now, the church itself, you and I are here today because God created the church by giving grace to a bunch of desperate people. You remember how it started. You have Peter the Apostle denying Jesus three times. And after he blew it, he weeps bitterly. He's desperate. He doesn't know what to do. Then all of a sudden, he finds himself kind of back in the company of the redeemed. He's back with the disciples. And then the resurrected Jesus shows up. And he steps into the room. And what does he do? Well, he gives them daily bread. He drops the word, peace be with you. And then he gives them a sword. He said, now receive my Holy Spirit. And he bursts the church through desperate people like Peter. And he continues to grow the church because of the grace that is flowing to desperate people like you and me. He's continuing to give us refuge together. He's continuing to feed us through the scriptures. And he's filling us and refilling us over and over and over again with the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's live our lives in light of the grace of God that flows, not to the deserving, but to the desperate. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you give us grace even now? As undeserving as we are, would you give us grace to grow would you give us grace to be the men and women you've redeemed us to be? And women you've redeemed us to be. God, would you nourish our souls with the truths of the gospel? May we hear the word. Peace be with you. God, would you fill us with your... God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness towards us in Jesus. And we praise you now. In light of him, amen.